Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in 3, 2, 1. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode number 75 and is being recorded on October the 23rd, 2017. Today's topic is Spectral Scans, Star Trek Discovery episode number 6, Lethe. This will be a spoiler-filled episode, so you have been warned. I'm Eric Dewey. And I'm Aaron Gallo. This episode is sponsored by Revenge Lover. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off your order. How are things going tonight, Aaron? Not too bad. Getting excited for a trip that I'm going to be taking soon. Yeah, you're going to jump on that uh, mycelium network and shoot on over someplace? Oh, yeah, I'm going to ride it. <laughs> or are you just going to get on a plane and, and be bored <laughs> on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, how about yourself? Uh, not too bad, not too bad. I had today off, which was thankful because the, the rest of my week is going to be very hectic between work and my wife had to go out of town unexpectedly. She comes back on Wednesday, so I'll be picking her up from the airport um, then, and then every other day I'm working. So uh, it was nice to have the day off today. Didn't have a whole lot to do. So you got to watch this episode again? I did, yes. Okay. I watched it last night, and then I watched it again today. So got two viewings in, which is actually the fewest viewings of an episode before we've talked about it ever. However, I did just watch it this afternoon, so it's it's still pretty fresh in my mind. That's good. Again, I attempt to watch it via the mobile app on my way into work, and I got uh, about 15 minutes in before it froze on me again. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. We'll have to talk about that a little later in the oh, episode. Yeah. I think we'll definitely have to discuss that. Speaking of, obviously, uh, Eric Berry is not with us tonight. He's feeling a little under the weather, so we hope he uh, feels better very soon. We do have some uh, thoughts from him on the topics that we'll touch on today. So uh, either myself or Aaron will be reading some stuff from Eric Berry that uh, he injected for us so we can uh, get those in there too, just to give people a heads up. Very good. So why don't we roll into the news? All right, yeah. One uh, really big news item just came out today. Yeah, a big nugget. Star Trek Discovery has been renewed for Season 2. Suck it, haters. <laughs> that is my eternal reaction to that news. There's so many people moaning, oh, it's going to be one season and done because it's behind a paywall. We all know how I feel about that. Yeah. Uh, people who are convinced that it was going to fail simply because it was on a subscription service. That obviously is not the case. We have notes here that uh, in just six episodes, Star Trek Discovery has driven subscriber growth, critical acclaim, and huge global fan interest for the first premium version of this franchise. Yeah, it's like for, for every person that's moaning and complaining about the subscription service, there's five people actually subscribing, evidently, because they're doing just fine, and we're getting some awesome Trek out of it. So, all right, revved up for season two already. It didn't give a timeline. Uh, I know we talked in previous episodes that it would be Maybe 2019? I hope they don't make us wait that long. I mean, I understand with the production that goes into this that there is a lot of work that goes into this. They discussed even in After Trek this week, and they were discussing just how long it took for the art department to get ready just for those first two episodes. They said they had people in there working literally around the clock 
to to get everything ready to to produce these episodes. So I'm hoping that they streamline that process a bit and have managed to get it to a point where they feel comfortable doing it a little bit quicker. And hopefully we don't have to wait that long. I'm hoping that maybe they keep it to a consistent time frame. Like maybe we see season two about the same time next year that we saw season one start mm-hmm. here. Like that would be still a fairly long wait, but that would be more acceptable to me. That I think that would give them plenty of time to get done what needs done. Right, and... Hopefully it's not too long. I know Eric Berry and I discussed uh, maybe if they came up with some kind of supplemental show to go in between the breaks of Discovery. I floated around maybe an animated series would be nice. It would be cool to have another animated Trek that that fit in between there. And you wouldn't have the production. Obviously animation takes time as well, but not nearly as much time as actually creating all of these things. So, yeah, something like that would be cool. I know they're going to be doing, obviously the books are going to be coming out. Got another book coming out this year, or I think it comes out early next year. And there's going to be more after that. And I think we're getting comics and graphic novels as well that will will bridge the gap. So we might not necessarily be getting TV discovery in between the the primary seasons, but there, there will be Trek to Consume between now and, and when season two starts. So I wouldn't despair too much. One way or another, there's going to be something out there for us to uh, to sink our teeth into. Moving on to would you buy it? Now, Eric, would you buy this? No. No. For multiple reasons. The price <laughs> being one big one, for sure. But honestly, I don't like the look of it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, definitely, for the, definitely not for that price. There are similar items available for much less that do the same thing and that I think uh, look nicer. Plus, this isn't the type of thing that I would get just for looks anyway, and it's not something that I would get just because, oh, they used it on Star Trek. Sometimes the things they use on Star Trek look weird, and it's cool to see them use it, but it's not something that I would want, and this is one of those things. I see. I would tend to agree with you. The price of this immediately turns me off. I use a device that is much cheaper than this and I assume it does just as well and what are we talking about the Foreo ISSA hybrid sonic toothbrush and this is the toothbrush that we saw Lieutenant Stamets and the doctor his partner yeah we see them you know just having a moment brushing their teeth together and in that scene you see this toothbrush without any bristles. They're just It's like literally a sonic toothbrush. This device actually does have bristles because it's not quite the future yet. You do have to have these bristles. They're, uh, it's a silicone bristle, and they're supposed to be decent toothbrushes. I've seen a very similar item to this in a different shape from a company called Quip, where it's a very, very similar product, except they have like a delivery service for your refills. So you get you know, the the replacement brush heads mm-hmm. every two or three months or whatever for a lot cheaper than than if you would have to buy it up front. But this thing for like I said, I don't I don't like the look of it. First of all, this isn't something that I would would want. It really looks I'm I'm gonna be honest with you, it looks like something that uh you might find at a fascinations or a uh Whatever, like insert amazing. local uh, adult superstore here. 
it looks like a toy of a different nature is what I'm saying. And it's not something that I would, uh, you know, want on my, uh, in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, just thinking on my sink, you know, on my, on my, on my countertop <laughs> you know, when guests came over or whatever, but yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want to put it in my mouth either. If you want something like this or want to check out something like this, like I said, I've actually got a couple of friends who have used the Quip service, and they said it's really nice. It's a much simpler design toothbrush. Actually, it looks like a toothbrush. It's electric and you know, pretty much the same thing, same type of brush heads. And they are uh, less than a third of the price for the initial purchase, and then it's like 5 bucks for a new head every three months. So. If you're looking for a futuristic toothbrush, there are nicer looking, cheaper options out there. But uh, if you want the one they used in Discovery, then you're going to have to go to Forio.com or uh, I think it's available on Amazon as well, is it not? It is. And if you purchase on Amazon, it's currently on sale for $149. It's the same price on the Forio website, although I believe they do have an offer going on where you can get like 11% off if you sign up for their email newsletter. So you can you can shave a few bucks off that way, I suppose, if you really wanted to. I see. Eric Berry added into the notes, Anthony Rapp, who plays Lieutenant Stamets, described the silicone brushes as some kind of high-end electric toothbrush that probably has some kind of laser beam or something. The Sweden-based Forio says that while the real thing doesn't have laser beams, the ISSA toothbrushes are innovative in high-end electrical toothbrushes, combining sonic pulse technology and a revolutionary silicone design for brushing like no other. The real ISSAs do have bristles, which were removed for shooting on Discovery. Because they wanted you to think it was laser beams in their mouth. <laughs> yeah, uh, obviously Anthony isn't the chief engineer because he would know that would would have been sound waves. Yeah, sonic <laughs> sonic toothbrush guys, come on now. <laughs> yeah, this definitely not something for me personally. But uh, if you if you absolutely must brush your teeth like they do in Star Trek, or at least somewhat a little bit like they do in Star Trek, then there you go interesting that you know we've never seen that on star trek before yeah we very rarely see any sort of you know classic bathing you know you know regular uh hygiene type type stuff occasionally they've shown it people showering you know they they talk about their sonic showers uh, well what comes to mind uh, immediately to me is neelix in first episode i think caretaker of Star Trek Voyager. He's so excited to to be somewhere where there's water because at that time, every planet that they went to had no water and the Kazon were basically attacking people for water, it seemed like. Yeah, there's that. You know, we've seen a couple of times uh, in Next Generation where they showed that there was a sink-type device in the uh, in people's quarters. I recall one episode earlier in, this, early in, the, in the run where somebody being shown their quarters for the first time went over to where there was a mirror and a countertop and part of the countertop slid back and there was a basin of water in there for hand washing and whatnot. Mm. And just, well, that's pretty much the most unhygienic way to wash your hands is just standing water, but okay. <laughs> 
Well, they use uh, sonic pulses to to filter the water. They got some kind of lasers in there or something, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, it's a topic that's rarely broached on any TV show, really, unless it's for comedic effect. You really don't see your characters going to the bathroom unless it's for some kind of joke. That's just the way it seems to work on TV. So it adds an element of realism when you look at it and be like, hey, you know what? They would have to do something with their teeth. You know, it might not be just regular toothbrushing like we do now. They might have a higher technology, but they still have to take that time out of their day to worry about their hygiene. And, uh, you know, it also made for a good scene of just two people talking off duty right. that we need to see to, to help develop these characters. So, hey, if you think this $150 toothbrush will help develop your character, then uh, by all means, right. snatch it up. So why don't we move on to our main discussion topic, Spectral Scan, Star Trek, Discovery, Episode 6, Lethe. Finally, we have a short episode title. It's not, uh, you know, a half a paragraph out of a book somewhere. It's just a single word, a name, actually. Kind of a little bit of a departure from what we've seen over the past few episodes, but uh, I like it. Yeah, definitely. Just for a little background of the episode, Discovery crew is intrigued by the new addition, Lieutenant Ash Tyler. Sarek seeks Burnham's help, rekindling memories from her past. Admiral Cornwell questions Lorca's tactics. Indeed. So this episode takes place about a week after the events in Choose Your Pain that we spoke about last week. Mm -hmm. The episode title, Lethe, as we said, is a name. And in Greek mythology, Lethe was one of the five rivers of the underworld of Hades. It's kind of interesting. It's also um, literally means uh, oblivion, forgetfulness, con concealment. Uh, it was used in the original series during the episode Daggers of the Mind in which they had a machine that actually erased people's minds, uh, one of the characters' names was Lethe in uh, reference to the name in, in Greek. So that's kind of cool, too. Yeah, definitely. And you just mentioned that you watched this episode, Dagger of the Mind. Yeah, interestingly enough. So I just started rewatching. I like to kind of rotate through you know, my Trek watching. Sometimes I'll just pick a random episode and watch, but most of the time I binge. I'll pick a series and just watch it from start to finish. I just a, a couple months ago finished rewatching TNG for about the 8 billionth time. I uh, just finished watching Deep Space Nine. I just finished it up yesterday, literally watched, uh, you know, watched uh, what the things we leave behind yesterday morning. And then I started up TOS yesterday as well. And so I'm a few episodes in and, uh, Dagger of the Mind was actually the last episode I watched before switching over to Discovery. <laughs> hmm. So it's kind of kind of interesting that uh, you know just the the timing on that was kind of convenient. Most definitely, very very good time. I will say, other than that word, that episode really had very little to do <laughs> with, with this episode of Discovery. You know, right. Don't don't feel you need to go watch that episode to understand what happened in this episode of Discovery. It was just. Just a name that happened to be reused. Right. A, a very interesting coincidence. But maybe not. You did say there was forgetfulness in the episode. They erased people's minds. Yeah, they had a device. A scientist had created a device that would allow you to uh, erase memories, erase minds, and plant suggestions. Uh, you know, basically control people in that way. Hmm. So maybe there is some, some callback. Maybe we'll see that... Uh, 
maybe there's a device like that in play. Um, you know, we do have this theory that we have going on kind of in the background. Nothing's been confirmed. And in fact, I've noticed in like the after tracks and such that they've conveniently never read any tweets regarding this theory or said anything about this theory whatsoever. Like they really are staying away from it. You know, I was hoping that it was a false breadcrumb trail that they were like, okay, we're going to drop this, this sprinkle over here so that people focus on this while we pull a different trick over here. But it's looking more and more like what we think is happening is what's happening. And a machine like that could definitely be helpful in that type of situation. Or the other meaning of, of the word concealment. Maybe someone's hiding something like Ash is hiding something. Mm-hmm. I think uh, in this case, I think we're supposed to associate that with Lorca. Uh, perhaps, and, yeah. Uh, also with Sarek. Yeah, because we, oh, we find yeah. Sarek's been hiding oh. what, what he's been concealing this entire time right? Um, from Michael. So it kind of fits all around. and You can apply it to, ver- to various uh, sections of the story. You know, Lorca's hiding stuff from Cornwell, Sarek's hiding stuff from Michael, and uh, maybe Ash's hiding stuff from everybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. So why don't we start off here with uh, the combat simulator which seems to be the precursor to the holodeck. Yes. So why don't I read Eric Berry's comment, and then why don't we branch off from that? Okay, sounds good. Eric Berry says, uh, The animated series had a holodeck-like device seen in the episode The Practical Joker. They established holograms for communication. This seemed very basic. The holograms still flickered and went away after being shot. When the simulation ended, the room they were in was very small, definitely not like the holodeck of the future. Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, they're playing fast and loose with the technology because we're already getting close to there. Mm-hmm. You know, we're already at a stage where this type of technology is getting close. So to try to pretend that it doesn't exist. And then, of course, you know, we have the the bonus that, in canon, we've already seen this in the animated series. So we do have this type of technology uh, as being available. So the people are going, they didn't have this until next generation. And you know what? Settle down. It was a cool simulation. You know, I looked at it. I was like, it was like it's like laser tag on steroids. Like, oh, I would no love doubt. to play around in there, you know? Yeah. I, I would jump in there and have a good old time. I liked how, you know, when when Lorca was shot, uh, he did feel something. Like, he, he's like, ah, like, he got a sting, like a, a jolt to let him know that he'd been hit. It wasn't just a, like after the fact they tell you, Oh, by the way, you got shot. It's no, you feel it. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, make it kind of an interesting game to play where you get that, that little bit of, uh, negative feedback when you fail. That could definitely make for, uh, some more inspiration to, to do better. Right. And I mean, this didn't look like a simulation room where they go to see like, a scenic scene. Yeah, this this definitely didn't have the look of a, a recreation area. This this was for training. Right. And it, it was pretty cool. It's it's in line with the evolution of our current augmented reality technology and a good precursor to the holodeck, I think. Yeah. It definitely bridges the gap there, you know, without right. overstretching the technology too far and you know, again, taking taking what we can already do 
and kind of putting that extra step on it to see where where it could go mm-hmm. and uh, being used for training uh, would, would definitely be a good use of technology like that. You know, we've already seen that they do full-on simulations on the bridge using the right. screens. So yep. why wouldn't they have a room for individual training? I, I would be willing to bet that they might have the availability of that for uh, hand-to-hand combat as well. I'd be interested to see if they if they go so far as to show that or if hand-to-hand combat still has to be, you know, individual sparring with each other in order to train. Right. I, I would think that because if you have holograms that can actually, like, touch you, I think that will step over the line. Yeah, it, it probably would, especially since, you know, like in... TOS, we do see them on the Enterprise, which is supposed to be the you know this the the, the Constitution class ship. It's the uh, the amazing ship. Even though the Discovery is the one that's got the fancy drive, the Constitution class is still supposed to be top of the line. And we see in TOS them sparring with each other. You know, right. you know actually just you know they got mats on the ground and <laughs> you know having some sparring. But then again, we also did see that happen. In Next Generation as well. Right. They did do individual sparring. You know, Worf taught, you know, Klingon Tai Chi lessons or whatever. (laughs) Right. So it it seems to me that you can use both technologies. Now, whether or not we'll see simulated hand-to-hand combat or not remains to be seen. Right. I thought it was pretty cool that their simulated or fake phaser rifles kept score. Yeah. Yeah, it was a nice, not only like just a cool little, oh, hey, they look cool, but also a very good character development point. While they're in battle, Lorca's asking him questions about just mundane stuff. It's like, hey, where are you from? He's like, we're in the middle of it. We're trying to shoot these Klingons, but okay, I'm from Seattle. You know, what? The, what? Right. Uh, and then he points out after the fact that, well, actually, you're from, you know, 50 kilometers outside of Seattle. So I wouldn't necessarily say, like, he points out, like, Whatever you say to me, I'm going to check. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even going so far as to, he, he looks at his guns and I got 24. How many did you get? And Tyler's all, oh, I got 22. I guess, uh, I guess I'm the one who needs his eyes checked. Ha ha. And he walks over there and looks at the gun and sees it says 36. And he's like, you said what now? Like, don't lie to me because I will find out. Right. But then he also takes it as a point of pride. Like, don't ever try to, to hide excellence from me. <laughs> right. And so uh, I thought that was an interesting little kind of a, a character development thing, you know, seeing Ash like, OK, yes, he's good. He's awesome. He, he did this, but he still wants to defer to the captain. He's still trying to curry favor with the captain so much so that he was willing to lie about his kill count just to try and, and make the captain feel a little better. Mm-hmm. And you know, Lorca, to his credit, called him out on it and said, no, you know, if I ask you a question, I want a direct answer and never apologize for excellence. So that was kind of a, a cool little thing I thought. Yeah. And Lorca thought enough of him to right after the scene in the, in the combat simulator to offer him the position of the security officer. Yeah. He, he, he becomes chief of security, a position recently vacated by, uh, so Landry. <laughs> someone just, Way too gone. You know what? Let that giant thing out of the cage. I'm gonna I'm gonna scare it with this big gun that we know won't hurt it because right. I'm a big dummy. I'm a big dumb dummy head. Uh, Landry, I felt had so much potential, but then when she pulled that, I'm like, you know what? She deserved to die right there. 
Because well, she was just dumb. Yeah, it wasn't the smartest move. And, I mean, she needed to die to progress the story to allow Ash to come in. So, yeah, at least to, you know, to become chief security, to to show that quick progression of him going up. It was still a shock at the time because right. you hadn't seen Ash yet, you know, and... and to have somebody introduced as the chief security officer, you think, okay, this is a this is a bridge crew person. This is somebody who's going to be around for a while. And then three episodes in, they're not around anymore. Okay, well, okay, <laughs> never mind. Right. Scratch that. <laughs> right, you can't, like we said with the Tardigrade and with Landry, you can't anticipate what's going to happen in these episodes because you think one thing and then the next episode's completely different. Yep. Speaking of being completely different from one episode to the next, talking about uh, next point on our discussion is uh, Stamets is uh, a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs off of these uh, off these spores, or at least that's what we're being led to believe is the cause of his euphoric behavior lately. And we see it even more so if you watched After Trek, you saw the clip of next week's episode. Right. And that one, you see him really acting loopy. Right. This episode, it's not as bad. You see a little bit, and he, he's, it's still felt in character because we've always seen Stamets be that, that, that kind of hard-ass, like, snarky, down-to-business guy when things aren't going exactly the way he wants. But yep. when things are going the way he wants or when he's being presented with cool science, you see him light up. And so that's kind of how I felt this episode went. You know, he's being presented with this idea for this technology. And he's like, yes, yes, let's do this. OK, yes. I didn't think of it as being that out of character. The clip from next week, on the other hand, that's a little bit. Uh, well, we'll have to discuss that when we actually see the episode and see that in context, I think. But right. this episode I didn't really feel it was out of character because we didn't see very much of him. And when we did, he was being excited by science, which we already know that he gets excited by. Eric Berry says he thought the scene was funny, but hope he isn't always like this. Uh, he was getting used to him being a smartass. And Eric continues that on After Trek, they confirm that Commander Arium is an augmented human. And we see that the doctor, his partner, gives Stamets his own augmentation uh, to ease the interface uh, instead of being stabbed by needles. And it looked uh, similar to Arium's look. And I think yeah. that was that in this episode? No, that was on the uh, the clip of uh, next episode. That's why I was okay. like, right. you know, the, oh, the majority of what we're seeing of him acting, you know, quote unquote, high off of these spores is from the clip of next episode mm -hmm. and that may be out of context. We already know, you know, from the preview that it's going to be a time loop episode that we're going to see some sort of, of time loop thing going on. So it's possible that that there's some kind of active, you know, there's something in that in play could be a spore thing, could be a hint that we're not seeing the same Stamets that we've seen before. You know, we've already had that hint at a mirror Stamets, you know, maybe, Maybe we're not always seeing the same Stamets from scene to scene. But again, most of that was from the coming soon clip, or the, the preview clip that we saw on After Trek. As far as what actually happened in this episode, like I said, he, he, he seemed excited about the idea of, like, he's already built, the, you know, he's already discovered this vast network that you can travel on physically. And now he's presented with the idea that there's another network 
of mental connection that you could also theoretically travel on without ever going anywhere. And he's pretty excited by this idea and the idea that he gets to play around with it at all and make some tech for it. That's kind of where I thought he was coming from. He just seemed excited and happy uh, to be doing some science instead of doing some war. So I didn't feel it was out of character at all, and uh, I dug it. I see. I thought it was slightly out of character. He did seem a lot more enthusiastic than in previous episodes. He uses the word groovy, and we know that his, I think, his uncle was in a Beatles cover band, so maybe he's familiar with this word. (laughs) Um, And uh, it looked like Lorca was taken back by how he was acting. I think a lot of that has to do with just Lorca being used to him always butting heads. Uh-huh. So because Lorca's always coming to him demanding something that he wants done. And so for once Lorca is coming to him and asking, can this be done? Instead of just telling him, do it. Mm-hmm. You know, when Lorca comes to him and says, do this, then he reacts with, oh, well, well, instead he came to him and said, can we do this? Is there a way to do this? And that's when he opens up and he's like, well, let's find out. And that's, that's what I do as a scientist is I try to find these answers. So I think what we're seeing is just a different I – th- I think we're seeing maybe Lorca figure out how to interact with Stamets better and get more out of him mm-hmm. instead of having to – you know, in previous episodes, we've seen him directly order, directly threaten him, you know, threaten his legacy – and ultimately manipulate him by playing recordings of people dying and being hurt and being attacked in order to force him to do what he wanted to do. And I think now he's kind of looking at it as like, oh, you know, maybe if I'd have just asked him how to do it <laughs> instead, maybe I would have gotten a better reaction in the first place. Uh, perhaps. One thing I'm, I'm wondering about is uh, I've seen people make jokes like, oh, he's, you know, high on mushrooms haha i was wondering if with his his link his nervous system is linked directly to this mycelium network maybe his mind is being expanded because his mind was literally everywhere in the universe it's kind of becoming traveler-esque traveler-esque hopefully it doesn't become a salmon person like in Voyager episode Threshold where Janeway and Paris evolve into salmon-like creatures. <laughs> uh, hopefully that's not the fate of Stamets but I think that maybe his mind is being opened up to other possibilities almost Q-like uh, where in all good things he goes it's not where you explore it's is thinking about the different possibilities of existence. And I feel like maybe Stamets is on the cusp of this. Yeah. And, you know, it's possible also that this network that he's uh, attached to, you know, we always have have to look also at in the episode where no man has gone before in original series, where we see someone imbued with powers simply by crossing the barrier of the galaxy does this network expand beyond our galaxy and could Mm -hmm. he possibly have reached out and touched this this barrier and you know start be starting to get powers like that as well so there's definitely uh possibilities 
out there. Right. As far as because he's attached to this network, could he be getting activated, for lack of a better word? Uh-huh. Uh, it's it's interesting. It's definitely something that uh, you know. Hopefully, they will explore a little bit more, and I'm sure we're going to see more and more of it as the uh, as the season progresses. Yeah, I mean, what episode was this? Episode six. So we have nine more episodes. Yep. Uh, it's just flying by. <laughs> but our next bullet point here is something we touched on just now a mind meld device and eric berry says that he doesn't mind the device uh, because it's pretty specific to burnham sarek's situation i love the design and that it highlights the points on the face that the vulcans always use to do the mind meld which was a nice touch yeah, this is one of those, uh, you know, I think of it as a classic Trek trope. You know, it's one of those things where in order to push the story along, it's like, okay, you need it. We're going to create this brand new device in 20 minutes and be good to go. It's something that's never existed before. We'll never use it again. But for this particular episode, it's what's needed to push the story along. It, it didn't really bother me in that respect. It's a little bit of suspension of disbelief. But at the same time, what it gives us is a reason for Tilly and Ash and Burnham to be on a shuttlecraft together by themselves and to give that character development of the of their little trio uh, a little bit more. And more specifically, it gave us the the most important thing in that whole scene, I think, besides what happened in Sarek's mind. That, that was a whole other thing also. But right. the most important thing I think we saw on the Discovery side of that scene was not anything to do with the tech or anything to do with the mind meld or anything like that. It was when Lorca goes to Tyler on the, uh, on the shuttlecraft and says, you know, bring her back in one piece. And, you know, Ash like touches the, the console on the shuttle says, won't, won't have a scratch on her. And he's like, I'm talking about her and kind of nods towards Michael. And he's like, Oh, okay. Like, cool. And then Lorca says, or don't come back. Right. It's like, Oh, snap. Like, he just, like, this is a guy who just heaped praise on you, just promoted you to chief security officer. Like, he, he's making it seem like he's really cool with you and you're an important member of the team. But don't forget for one second that she is way more important than you. <laughs> right. To Lorca, anyway. So right. that, I think that moment was worth all the suspension of disbelief for the tech to get them to that point to where they had to have that situation because that moment we're like, Oh, Lorca is serious about having Michael with him. Mm -hmm. Like he sees something there that he can use and he's, he's got bigger plans. Like he, there's something going on there that he really needs to have her there. I mean, considering this whole rescue mission was only done at her request. Right. Like Starfleet didn't approve it. In fact, he cut off yet another admiral in mid-speech uh, to to just be like, "Okay, we're well, gonna go, bye," and just absolutely, you know, totally irked the entire admiralty with that move. Mm -hmm. uh, and he didn't do it for Sarek. He didn't. He didn't care if Sarek made it back or not. He could give two poos about Sarek at this point. He did it because Michael asked him to. Right. And that, you know, that whole that whole thing of seeing like. Wow, he really, really, really has something going on. He wants her, but he's not letting her know about that. Mm -hmm. You know, he does a little bit when he tells her, like, I did this for you. 
I did this because you're a valued member of my team and I want you to be on the bridge with me when these decisions need to be made and such and such. You know, like I said, that one moment was worth all the suspension of disbelief for the tech to get to it as far as I'm concerned. Right. No, I agree with you there. I kind of wish that we had chief medical officer in the scene where we're being described of what needs to be done with Stamets and Lorca. Uh, I wish the chief medical officer was there. I also wish the main engineer was there to assist. If it's that important, <laughs> th- these let's characters should be there. Let's just let's just acknowledge right now that unless they're uh, unless they're killed, we're never going to see the ch- chief medical officer or the chief engineer. I guess. I mean, it's just <laughs> weird. It's That's weird. the only time we're going to see them is if there's, uh, you know, they're in a battle and, you know, oh, my gosh, the chief medical officer's dead. <laughs> Go, yeah. well, never mind. I guess we don't get to meet him or her or it or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I also wish that we had a Vulcan in on this because, I don't know, maybe they would be able to help in some way on the construction of this device. Although you could argue that a doctor would be... Yeah, uh, sufficient. But. If they were sufficiently trained in, you know, Vulcan physiology as well as human physiology, right? Um, do we know? Have we seen any other Vulcans on the Discovery? I haven't really noticed, but I'm also not looking <laughs> for them. Yeah, I know, I know that they're kind of few and far between on Starfleet ships beyond those particular ships which are entirely crewed by Vulcan. Right. In in Desperate Hours, they do talk about there's two ships in the fleet that are entirely crewed by Vulcans. Mm-hmm. And uh, they talk about how uh, Michael originally had wanted to be assigned to one of those ships, and they had rejected her because she was human. Not you know, Even though she had grown up on Vulcan, grown up as Vulcan, basically, um, they did reject her from, being, from serving on those ships because she was technically human. So basically, the majority of the Vulcans that are in Starfleet... I think are on those ships at this point. There, there haven't been a ton that have joined Starfleet to begin with, so I think we see, you know, obviously the admiral that we have, but that's he's not there. He was only communicating. So I don't know. There might not be any other Vulcans on Discovery for them to use, or they may not. If there was, they may not have been available to help out with this for whatever reason. They may have been busy with some else. Maybe they're behind one of those doors guarded by black badge officers. <laughs> right. Oh, man, I forgot about them. <laughs> <laughs> Never forget. That's how they get you. Right. You forget about something, and they bring it up next episode, and you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, it was so brief in the third episode, and then that's it. Yeah. Um, so why don't we move on to Sarek and Burnham? Yes. Very, very, very uh, a lot a very deep character development for these two characters on this episode. It was really, really good. I'll read what uh, Eric Berry had uh, thrown into the notes here for us. He did say that uh, we've. it's finally made clear that the flashback we saw in the premiere was the Vulcan extremist attack, not an attack by Klingons, which did happen earlier in Michael's life, but the attack that actually killed her, that Sarek had to bring her back from with the mind meld, that was actually committed by other Vulcans, by an extremist group, which is, you know, it's, it's finally made clear, as he says. Right. Uh, we now have an explanation as to why Sarek was so upset with Spock. 
he had to make a choice, that, and that choice was in vain since Spock went into Starfleet. And uh, it is a powerful episode showing the bond Sarek and Michael have, but it pushes Sarek further away now from both Michael and Spock. I, I don't know about that last point. I don't know if it pushes him further away or not. I think, I don't know. I, what, what do you think about this this character development between, between Sarek and Burnham in this episode? So one of the things I'm wondering is if Spock's tears in the Next Generation episode Unification was because of this moment. Because he's learning for the first time that Sarek had to choose between him and Michael. Right. And chose him, and then Spock went and turned his nose up <laughs> at right. that choice without having even known it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Very possible. Very, very possible, you know. Uh, or it could just be a culmination of that and all the years, just the realization of all the years they could have had mm-hmm. as father and son that they didn't just out of pride. Yeah, because it shows that he actually does care for Spock, and even though he might not show it, he does love Spock. And I think that we also see that it was very hard for Sarek, and... I don't think he wanted to choose between either Spock or Burnham. And Burnham, later on in the episode, as she's walking away from Sarek, who's in uh, sickbay, uh, she calls him father, which was the first time that she's done that. That was uh, such a great line, the way it was delivered. I love the way that line was delivered because it was was a barb. It was a... (laughs) You know, she was trying to have this conversation with him and he's trying to deflect. She's like, she's talking to him like this and, you know, we're related, we're this. It's like, well, technically we're not related. He's like, she's like, yeah, listen, you're, we're related. Whether we're blood related or not, this is how it works. And that last line, you know, basically her getting the last word in as she walked away and just be like, you know, we're going to have this conversation at some point. Maybe not now, but at some point we're going to have this conversation father and just walks out the door and he's like son of a yeah (laughs) you know without showing it obviously because he's being all vulcan about it but yeah absolutely fantastic character building on both sides we see that burnham's been carrying around this this guilt this shame of failure for so long thinking that she failed sarek by not getting in to the Vulcan expeditionary and it turns out that she did get in or she could have gotten in, but Sarek was forced into choosing saying you can, you can, we'll take her now, but if we do, we won't take Spock later. Yeah. And it's very interesting how dismissive these Vulcans are and they call Sarek's being married to a human and having a half human, half Vulcan child as like a human experiment as if this is just some science project that he's or a social project that he's running. Yeah. I think what it is, I think Sarek realizes that despite all of the Vulcan teaching to force emotion down, that emotion might actually have a place. And he looks at humanity as maybe an example of where the right balance has been met. You know, he's looking at humans going, you know what, they're able to be logical when they need to be, but they can also show emotion. And that emotion sometimes drives them to do things that they wouldn't be able to do normally. 
I mean, that's one thing that, you know, Star Trek, dis- despite its inclusivity of having all these different species and races and, uh, you know, everything from everywhere, one thing that always comes back, a tried and true Trekism throughout all the series, is that humanity always defies other species' expectations of them every right. single time. Yeah. I mean, look at how many species the Borg was able to assimilate with no problems whatsoever. Yeah, they all put up a little resistance. They all tried, but the Borg learned that, hey, your resistance is futile. We're going to beat you anyway. But humanity figured out a way to beat them. You know, and it's, you know, we see this time and time again where it's human ingenuity or something specific to humanity that manages to, to, to win the day. And so I think Sarah looks at this and says, you know what, maybe they do have something that we're, that we're lacking. Obviously, you know, we know that Romulans and the, the Vulcan split and a lot of it was due to this. They were, they were, there was so much fighting because there was so much emotion. So the Vulcan side decided to push down that emotion and get rid of it completely as their, as their reaction to that. Mm-hmm. And I think Sarek is looking at it like, you know, maybe that wasn't necessarily the best choice. But if he just says that, then he'd lose all standing in his society. It's, that would be heresy. It would be right. insane for him to say it. So instead, he does little things like, well, little things, you know, they're still pretty big in the Vulcan world. But he does what he can to toe the line. You know, he has this reputation of being really good, but it, you know, he, he toes that line by doing things like adopting a human child, marrying a human woman, you know, having a child with a human woman that's half Vulcan, half human. These things, he, he's riding that line. And that other Vulcan, when we see in the in the memory sequence is basically reminding him of that. He's basically saying, you know, he basically tells him straight up, it's like, if this were anybody else asking me to put a human or a half-human into this, we'd be saying no straight out. Because it's you, we'll give you one. But even you don't have the reputation to get both of them in. It's not going to happen. We're seeing, again, why, why he's so mad at Spock is he basically, you know, he used a lot of chips... <laughs> Right. To get one of them into the to, in the first place, and for the one that he chose to go to choose not to go, it really burns him. But yeah, we see that Michael's been carrying around this this guilt, this shame of failing Sarek, and then she finds out that that wasn't the case at all. She she succeeded. She did everything she had to do. It was a choice that was forced upon him, and, and it wasn't something that he, she wasn't even mad that he made that choice. She, you know, she said, why didn't you just tell me? I would have understood because it's like, yeah, Spock is your blood. If you have to choose one, you're probably going to choose y- your actual blood relative. I get it. You know, she would have been upset and she would have been disappointed, I'm sure. But the fact that he hid that from her and let her believe that she had failed him instead is what has got her so riled up now. That's why she's so angry with him now. Right, I agree with all of that. So I think if, if Sarek had emotion, maybe he would have told her. Yeah, if he, if he wasn't repressing his emotion. That's one thing that's important to remember is that Vulcans do have emotions. Mm-hmm. They just repress them. They're trained from a very early age to repress those emotions and not to act on them, not to show them. But they do exist. They are there. They do feel. They're just they're, they're repressing that and pushing it down. Right, they're good at it's hiding so- their emotions. Yeah, I think if it was, if he wasn't having to hide that emotion, he could have come back over and be like, this mother right here just told me I had to choose 
between you or Spock. You, you, what? The, like, he would have been animated. He would have been like, are you kidding me right now? Mm-hmm. You know, could have seen, you, you might have seen an altercation between him and this other Vulcan. You know, it's there's a lot of things that would have happened had the uh, emotional chip not been played. Especially by that other Vulcan. He's like, oh, sounds uh, sounds almost like you're getting emotional. <laughs> That's pretty much a shutdown to any Vulcan right there. Right. If Vulcan says anything, you'd be like, oh, yeah, you're sounding kind of emotional there. And they'd be like, <laughs> no, no, not. Yeah, it's, it's uh, an interesting situation that he was put in. And he definitely handled it incorrectly. For sure. Know? And that's a thing that's, I think, important for us to see in this character as well. Because, again, when you have a character that's built up so much, like Sarek, it's easy to, to put them up on a big pedestal and be like, this character is perfect. There's nothing wrong with this character. They can do no wrong ever. Mm-hmm. And that's just not real. Right. That's Real characters aren't like that. Real characters do have flaws. They don't all have to be anti-heroes or have more character flaws than <laughs> character traits. But everybody's got something. Mm-hmm. And to think otherwise is just to delude yourself. And so for us to see a little bit of Sarek's weakness and how he dealt with it and how he had to, to deal with it for years, you know, having that memory and that basically we're, we're told that this is the, the moment he regrets the most in his life as he lay dying. This is what his mind goes back to because it's what he regrets the most. And uh, speaking of someone that has a lot of baggage, let's talk about Lorca and Cornwell. Goodness. <laughs> so much to dig into here. Right. Uh, so Mr. Berry says that we knew there was some history there, and now we get to see it. But now Cornwell knows that Lorca is completely different than what they were together in the past. Lorca's scars are interesting because Cornwell didn't seem to recognize them. Is this evidence of a mirror Lorca? Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually have, have a point to that. This is good backstory. And Cornwell begins to talk about a story of them watching a media shower together. And Lorca says that he remembers the media shower. But does he really? He kind of seemed like um, maybe he didn't. Yeah, he did seem a little a little shady on that, and that could be evidence of, as uh, Eric Berry pointed out, you know, are we seeing possible evidence that this is a mirror Lorca? And if so, how far how far back, you know, when did the switch take place? If this is a mirror Lorca, when did the switch take place? When his last ship was destroyed? Before that? We don't know when their last interaction was. You know, we always knew that there was a little bit of uh, history between them. They made that pretty clear. But it was a very, very interesting scenes with these two characters. You know, she comes on the ship, you know, she just shows up to basically chew him a new one for going on this mission without approval, for cutting off the uh, the other admiral, uh, you know, when he was trying to tell him, don't go. And he's like, no, I'm going. Bye. You know, so she comes basically to chew him out and he manages to kind of smooth talk her into taking off her badge, so to speak, and and. Literally, and uh, (laughs) you know, and they end up in bed together, 
and then we see you know we we see he does have those interesting scars on his back especially those ones uh that were like shaped in a, in a diamond a pyramid or a triangle right that was kind of interesting that the scars would be specifically shaped i wonder if that's evidence of uh some kind of torture at some point because it, it seemed too precise to be accidental right it seemed almost more more like a brand right like a branding yeah so it would be interesting to find out where that came from. We know he wasn't with the Klingons long enough to be tortured like that. And, you know, and when they did torture him, he was tortured. You know, they just shone lights in his eyes. <laughs> well, that's all we saw. Yeah, so you, that's true. That's true. He was with them a little bit longer. You know, they did. They just skip around in the time a little bit. So it's possible that happened with the Klingons. But I don't know if you know, it, it, that doesn't seem to match up with what we saw. So that may have happened some other time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she doesn't recognize the scars. Those scars weren't there the last time she was with him, you know, in that situation where he, she was seeing his naked back anyways. And everything's going fine until she's uh, touching him in his sleep and he wakes up and flips the freak out. <laughs> so <laughs> it might be an understatement. Hello. <laughs> and uh, is choking her out. And there's a good tense moment where she's staring at him like, holy jeez, what the heck? And he's taking a moment to realize where he is and what's happening before he lets her go. And it's like, oh, yeah, sorry. I'm not used to uh, to having anybody in my bed, you know, so you know, trying to play it off. And she's like, dude, what the heck? <laughs> right. But this leads to a very, very interesting moment where, you know, she's freaking out. She's like, you are not the man i remember you are not the person i remember and you're not right you're not well in the head you may have been able to fool the psychologist who gave the tests or whatever to to put you back on duty but you're not fooling me there's something not right with you Uh, i'm gonna pull your command Mm -hmm. and we see him beg and he's this is the part that i'm really curious about because when we see Lorca beg her not to take his command away it seemed very, very genuine to me. Yeah. I thought we were seeing another side of this character where we were finally seeing a chink in the armor. We were finally seeing just a glimpse into his real psyche when he was like, no, seriously, if you take this away from me, I, I haven't lost it yet. But if you take this away from me, I am going to lose it. Seriously. Right. So that moment, you know, it seems very, very genuine to me. But she does make that comment of like, I don't even know if you're being real right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, to me, it seemed a little bit more real because we get to see how he looked after she was out the door. Yeah. You can still see it in his eyes and on his face that he is uh, very hurt and, and like in a state of depression at this point over the thought of losing his ship and losing his command. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not that calculating look we normally see on his face where he's figuring out his next movie. He looks like he's lost. And it's the first time we've seen Lorca look like he's lost, like he's failed ever. You know, even when he was being tortured by the Klingons, he always had this air about him of not necessarily superiority, but of confidence and uh, power. And we see that stripped away in that moment. And it's just, it looks very real to me. I agree with you. But we do see that... uh, he took the first available opportunity to get her on her way. You can see that the calculation comes back very quickly because he starts thinking, you know, the second I knew I knew something bad was going to happen. Mm-hmm. The second 
she agreed to go on a dangerous mission and said, you'll keep your command until I come back. I was like, oh, man, she ain't coming back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I... Uh, that just sealed the deal. That just sealed the deal. You ain't coming back from this. Right. Now, what I thought was going to happen, I said, I turned to Ashley, I was like, I think he planted a bomb on the shuttle. Uh, I thought the shuttle wasn't going to make it to the rendezvous point for this diplomatic mission with the Klingons. I don't think that Lorca would go that far as to kill her himself. Mm. But the fact that as soon as he was told, Sarek's not going to be able to make this mission. We're going to have to either scrap this or find somebody else. And she, he's like, I know somebody. I know somebody. Hey. hey. <laughs> like he was immediately thinking like, okay. Right, so like stalling for time. Gets her. Yeah, he's definitely at the bare minimum stalling for time. But he also, I think he never trusts, you know. Even in their conversation, when when they're talking about when he's talking to the Vulcan admiral, even then you can see he was thoroughly unconvinced that this was a real peace meeting. He was like, "Yeah, and you guys believe this?" And the Vulcan's like, "Well, you know, we are we have our suspicions." And he's like, "Mm-hmm, yeah, I got my suspicions too. I don't buy it, and I don't think he bought it from the get go." And so I think he looked at this opportunity. He's like, "This is probably a trap." This is 99% probably a trap. Hey, I know somebody who can go. <laughs> right. We have a Saru that comes to tell Lorca about the situation where we have the Klingons took Cornwell as, as a hostage. Yeah. And Saru's thinking, oh, we're just going to use our spore drive, get in there, get her and get out. Because that's what we've been doing every other time. Right. But... It was like, I finally got this captain figured out. I know what he's going to do. Here we go. What? No, we're not. We're not doing that. Right. And then he goes, oh, no, this this seems too dangerous. We'll we'll need a we'll need to ask Starfleet to see what they want us to do. And then said exactly what the captain of the ship should have said. And that's what makes it so brilliant on his part oh, is, yeah. the fact, you know, nobody except at this point, Saru would be the only person who would question it. And not because it goes against procedure, because it, it doesn't. It It's exactly procedure. But Saru's looking at him like, since when do you follow procedure for anything? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now, when somebody that I'm sure everybody understands that they have a history, whether or not they know the full extent of it or not, they still but they know that that they know each other. And they're at least friends or at least Collie, you know, that they, they know there's something more than just a admiral captain relationship going on there. And so for him to be like, nope, we'll let uh, we'll let Starfleet know. And if they choose to order us to go try to find her, we will. But he knows dang well they won't because they never do. Starfleet Command always wants to play it safe. They're not going to they're not going to risk their one ship with a sword drive to go after one admiral. It's very interesting at the very end there. When Saru leaves uh, the doorway to the captain's quarters, you know, the door is closed and Lorca turns around and he's carrying a phaser in his uh, in his pants. Yeah, it's interesting that he is now turned to you. You wonder if he's probably armed at all times now. Right. He probably just, at this point, he's just you can assume that Lorca's packing at all times. I think. <laughs> That if they try to take his command, he's going to flip out and start shooting. 
yeah, it's it's going to be a bad situation if they come for him. That's for sure. Yeah, um, yeah it's there. Yeah, there's something there's something going on with him. I mean, you you remember my prediction from a few episodes back? It was when I wasn't able to be on the show, but I put some notes in there and I said that uh, well, you know, early thoughts of Captain Lorca. I said he's either going to be the most badass captain that we have ever seen, or the biggest bag of dicks to ever wear a Starfleet uniform. <laughs> Right, possibly both, and mm-hmm. I think we're seeing that we're we're seeing, we're definitely seeing that side uh, of Lorca here, where he's willing to sacrifice his lover, his friend, his admiral, to just to keep his command. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty weak move there, but uh, you know we know that he's willing to do just about anything, and I think it's very very interesting that we're getting the juxtaposition of us seeing this, you know, as the audience, we're seeing this side of Lorca and starting to be like, Oh geez, Lorca's not a good dude. Lorca may be a good wartime captain, like as far as victories and, you know, battle strategy and whatnot goes, but he's just not a good person. And we're seeing that more all the while. Michael is starting to think the opposite. Michael started out suspicious of him, and now she's like, I'm happy to serve with a captain like you. And it's like, no, what are you doing? Oh, my gosh, she can't see through him. Well, I mean, Uh, I don't know if I would say that he is a bad person. I Right now, I just feel sorry for Lorca because of what he's been through. And, I mean, I can understand his motivations, but I think the student needs to see a psychiatrist. He needs to see like, one, not sleep They with need, one. like, yeah, yeah. They need, like, I mean, he's probably the reason why they end up having counselors on board the <laughs> ship. Yeah, he is the reason that we instituted this policy. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like I said, the more I see of him, the more I think, you know, like I said, I, I'm almost 100% sure he either knew, he, he didn't, I'm, I'm sure that he didn't know no, like have actual intel indicating that this was a trap. But I believe in his heart of hearts, he knew that this was a trap. And if if he was a good person deep inside, he would have made that known to Cornwell before she left. Well, I mean, I, I feel like this is something that she would have known was a possibility. Yeah, I, I'm sure the thought was there. And like, you know, the other admiral said, we we thought about that also when we think it. But I think he would have made a stronger effort to point it out and be like, okay, if you want to, first of all, he wouldn't have volunteered her for the job. That was the the big thing. I think she would have been ordered to do it anyway. Yes, it's very possible. But I think I can't get past the idea that it was more than just a stalling tactic, that he was actively hoping that she would be killed or captured mm-hmm. on this trip. And I, I, I rewatched the very end sequence a couple of times to see if I – because the first time I watched, you know, we see uh, – once again, the episode ends with a reflection. You know, we see Lorca looking out the window and we see his reflection in the glass on the, uh, you know, on the, on the ship there. Mm-hmm. And I was looking for the hint of a smile in the, uh, in the reflection. And um, – I watched it several times. I like rebound, like kept going back because I I feel like I saw just a hint of one starting just before they cut down to show that he's that he's packing. He's like, all right, 
like kind of this realization of, okay, everything's going to plan so far. Mm-hmm. I find it hard to give him the benefit of the doubt at this point. I really think he's extremely manipulative of everybody. I think the only time we see a good side of him, it's when he wants to show a good side to get something. I think deep down that we are dealing with a, a bad person. That's my prediction. I think that we're going to find out that Lorca is most definitely a bad man. Okay. I can respect that. I could be totally wrong. I mean, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. He might re- totally redeem himself. I, I hope that's what happens. Just because, you know, he's a Starfleet captain. I hope that some well, sliver of hope. S- super evil dude. But it was the mirror guy the whole time, and we and then the real Lorca comes back, and we find out that he's a, that he's a sweet guy. He's a sweetheart. <laughs> so why don't we jump into the final discussion topic here: the relationship between Tyler and Burnham. Yeah, we got a little uh, little possible bow chicka wow wow going on here, especially if uh, Tilly has her way. She seems to to be quite a little matchmaker here trying to get them hooked up. Our our little fan theory that we have going on here, and I I, I say little, although it's pretty widespread at this point, is that Ash Tyler is actually Vogue. Mm -hmm. Or at the very least, another Klingon disguised as a human, but most likely, specifically, Vogue. I find it hard to believe that Vogue would be able to suppress his hatred of not only humans, but specifically Michael, because he knows that Michael is the one who killed Takuma. So we know that Voke knows this. So I feel like if he was put in a situation where he had to be uh, alone with her, that we would see some sort of resentment. But then we do have the aspect, uh, like we talked about from this episode's namesake, it could be that, he has been you know, brainwashed, essentially, wiped clean to believe, as for right now, that he is actually Ash Tyler, uh, you know, that he is this person. Oh, wow, that's and, interesting. So if those memories are being repressed, you know, we know this is, this is something that Star Trek has, has delved into, like I said, with, the, with that episode of uh, TOS. We also saw it in Deep Space Nine with the idea of that Cardassian uh, that, that uh, infiltrator that had been sent in as a Bajoran with her mind completely wiped, but with, uh, you know, some sort of trigger supposedly in there so that they could bring her back. And then they tried to convince that, uh, that her father, that Kira was that person. And, you know, that whole thing happened, but we know that that is a technique that some other species might try to use. So that would explain why he would be able to seamlessly pass himself off as this other person, have knowledge and be able to answer questions and also be able to interact with these people whom we know Voke would have a deep hatred for without giving away what he is. So, I see. Right. I do have a theory that could keep Tyler Volk and keep his memories intact here. Mm-hmm. So my theory is that... He, he knows Burnham killed Takuma, and he doesn't just want to destroy her physically, but he wants to destroy her psychologically by building up this relationship with her and then tearing her down. It's definitely a, a possibility as well. Yeah, absolutely. We, we could be seeing something like that. Imagine how crazy would it be 
if you know we have the theory where where his he, he's been wiped or or his memories have been blocked so that he really believes he's this person what if this person this ash tyler that they've created actually does fall in love with michael burnham and then his memories are triggered and he realizes evoke and now he's got this confliction within himself mm. of hate this person but i also love her that would that could be interesting as well yeah i mean the theory you know originally it just had some some dubious reasons for the possibility of the theory but the more you dig into it the more it it seems very suspicious and uh, one of the big things is that I've noticed that on After Trek, especially, they don't seem afraid to call out tweets that have random weird theories or, you know, talk about stuff. But they've never once read anything about this theory. And I know right. people have tweeted it at them. I've seen them with the hashtag. So I know that their eyes are seeing these tweets and they're specifically not bringing it up. Right. So... It makes me think that they're like, oh, crap, these people have got us a little bit. But even with that, we still have different possibilities about how it's being done. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's still going to be some surprise there, even if, even if we're right, even if we've made the right guess. Right. There are still possibilities that are going to leave some people surprised because there's always some, you know, some other way or some other thing that they're doing. So it could get very interesting. Indeed. And there, there was one other tip-off to me that uh, Tyler is a Klingon, at least. He really, really digs into his food. <laughs> and this doesn't necessarily mean that he's a Klingon, but as we know from Star Trek VI, the undiscovered country, they aren't known for their table manners. Yeah, I did see that. He, he was digging in, but I also and took... he had a lot of food, too. Yeah, but I also took that, you know, he was just in a very intense workout with, uh, you know, it seemed to me that that scene happened immediately after the the battle uh, training scene. So it could have also been that he was just really hungry from working out with Lorca. Uh, you know, he could have just been really, you Maybe. know, stressed himself out. And considering he just spent seven months in confinement, you know, uh, uh, assuming his story is true. Yeah, but this isn't the first time that he's been eating <laughs> since then. He's been on the ship at least a week. No food. You're gonna you're you're gonna dig in every meal you get for a while. I think. I I don't know. That's just me. I'm I'm thinking if I'm if I go many months with little to no food, when it's available to me, I'm gonna chow down. Uh, I I suppose you're right. But it is also you know it is possible that that's just another little uh, tidbit that they're trying to throw at us to to show us that hey this guy's. Got some things in common with other people you may have seen. Yeah, definitely. So, won't we look at some callbacks to other Star Trek series here? Yep. Maya Kirchner. <laughs> Man, I really need to learn how to read. Uh, I, I don't know. I've never actually heard her name pronounced. I've seen her in a couple of things. Um, but, uh, yeah, Mia Kirchner. Is how I would guess. That sounds good. She is the fifth actor to portray the character of Amanda Grayson. Jane Wyatt originated the role in TOS, Journey to Babel. Majel Barrett voiced the character in the original series Yesteryear. Cynthia Blasey? 
Maybe. Uh, I would probably just go Blaze on that. I don't know. Okay. Um, (laughs) Man. Played a young Amanda in Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, which is probably why I don't remember that one. (laughs) And when I don't remember there being a Star Trek V. (laughs) If I recall correctly, it went straight from uh, four to six. I think they skipped. I think so. I I think that's what happened. (laughs) And then Winona Ryder portrayed her alternate reality counterpart in Star Trek, the 2009 motion picture. I kind of was wondering if they would get her to play Grayson in in this iteration of Star Trek. It's interesting to think that they could reach out to some of those actors to play some of these parts because before the split, before they they have this time event that creates this alternate timeline, all of these people would have been the same people. So, you know, some of these actors could potentially uh, reprise their roles. I think time-wise especially since we're seeing something that's you know many years in the past and this is set pre-TOS as well, that they made the right choice in finding somebody else to play the character. I suppose, but... It would have been cool. I wouldn't have complained about it, but yeah, I could, think they made the right choice. Because uh, the 2009 movie took place in the uh, 2250s, which is the right around the time that Discovery takes place. So I could definitely see Winona Ryder playing the character. I don't know if they would want to, you know, pay Winona Ryder money to get her to be in the TV show, especially since it was such a small part, uh, at least yeah, so far. Depends on, yeah, it also depends on how much they're going to bring her back. Like, is this it? Are we done seeing Amanda Grayson? Or is there going to be more throughout the series? Right. The next bullet point here, although this episode includes some footage of Amanda Grayson set chronologically earlier than her first appearance in the original series, Journey to Babel, this is not the first episode to do so. In-universe, young versions of the character also appeared in, like we said, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, and Yesteryear. Yesteryear is such a great episode of... The animated series, if you haven't seen it, I think we might have did a, a supplemental episode on Yesteryear as well. Uh, so you should check that out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the animated series is one that I need to go back and rewatch as well, because I haven't, I haven't seen a lot of those episodes in a very long time. If you like Pink Tribbles, you'll <laughs> like the animated series. Uh, well, you know me. I like my Tribbles pink. Yeah, uh, who doesn't? And you can actually buy pink tribbles if if you're so inclined, which is which is pretty cool. Uh, next here we have this episode features the first time we see Captain Lorca sitting in the captain's chair. Finally, oh my gosh, he actually does sit in the dang thing. I tweeted about it as soon as I saw it. I I saw him. I was like, oh my gosh, he's sitting in it. And one thing is cool from that picture, I didn't realize the panel rose up. Like the uh, screen panel, the button panel that he has there. It, like, yeah, it hangs up towards towards him when he's in the chair. Yeah, and that makes me like this chair more because before I did not like the chair, and th- that kind of makes me like it. A Maybe that's bit. why he's never sitting in it because he's like, like, how does this damn thing work? This, this chair, it's so uncomfortable, and I can't see the buttons. Oh wait, they pop up. Okay, cool. I'll sit down. <laughs> I also think it was used in this particular episode 
as kind of a, a metaphor, the fact that we see him sitting in the chair, because that's how the Admiral always refers to his captainship. She always refers to as it him as as it being him in the chair. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. She doesn't refer to it as command of the ship or captain. You know, she says you're back in the chair, and then later, like we'll do everything we can to get you back in the chair as soon as possible. With that being in the dialogue, that it was really uh, kind of to help drive that point home. We needed to see him in the chair <laughs> to to really uh, help. Uh, help that particular plot point along. So I, I liked that tie-in. I liked the fact that we hear her say that and we actually see him in the chair. Next up here, the episode also reveals that there are Vulcan extremists who seek a society with greater adherence to logic and who wish Vulcan will leave the Federation. This recalls Vulcan extremists of different ideologies in both Enterprise and in The Next Generation, uh, specifically episode The Gambit Part 2. Yeah, it's um, quite interesting to see, you know, the inner workings of these societies. You know, you think you've got this unified society, but even within a unified society, you have people who believe something different. And they... You know whether it's extreme one way or the other, it's still extreme. And this particular group is, you know, they think that the repression of uh, emotion isn't enough. We need to completely rely on logic only. And in their mind, that includes essentially xenophobia. They're like, you know what, Vulcans right. should be Vulcans, and we should be on our own, and we shouldn't be intermingling with other races. We shouldn't be communicating with other races. We should be. Just everybody leaves them alone and they leave us alone. And obviously, that's not a logical approach you know, right. in, 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 to, to a society, but that's what they believe. And so stringently that they're willing to even have suicide bombers. Right. And it mirrors uh, the Klingons a little bit here where they you know remain Klingon. Yeah, they, it has – basically it's the same ideology, different methods. They both are the extreme version of xenophobia where they're like, everyone else is bad, we're the only good ones, and we should be completely separate from them. With the Klingons, their method is, well, we're the best, so we should destroy everybody else. Whereas with these Vulcan extremists, they're more of, we're the best, so we should stay to ourselves over here by ourselves and not be bothered with anybody else. Mm-hmm. Like I said, similar ideology, completely different methods, right. um, except for the fact that both of them are willing to use violence to to meet their goals. Right. And my wife was actually surprised about this. And uh, she said that that didn't seem Vulcan. And I told her, oh, it seemed, it fits to me because of events that happened in Enterprise. And she said, oh, well, maybe I should watch Enterprise. <laughs> I thought that it felt very, very Vulcan. That whole scene was just so perfect because here you have a person who is literally blowing themselves up. You know, whether it's a bomb strapped to your chest or whether it's injecting something into your body that creates you, that makes your body into a bomb. Either way, you are sacrificing yourself for your ideals. And the fact that both of them are just standing there, dead-faced, having this conversation him just saying 
we need to adhere to logic. I need to stop this mission. This is what I have to do. And Sarek being just like, well, you got to do what you got to do. And I have to figure out how to protect myself right now. And just that, that moment where they're both just looking at each other and they're both just stone dead Vulcan faces. And I'm just like, yep, that's, that's, that's Vulcan extremism right there. <laughs> you know, it's about to blow up. And he's still just cool, calm, collected, and just saying it how it is. Like, here's, here's why I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. And Sarek, for his part, just standing there, he's not freaking out. He's not, you know, you can see that he's calculating. He's, like, figuring out what can I do. And you see him, you know, he puts up that force field real quick between him and the actual blast so that, you know, he doesn't take the, the brunt of it. But, yeah, right. no, that scene definitely seemed very Vulcan to me. Know what I would have done if I was in Sarek's shoes? I would have beamed the guy into space. I'm wondering if he didn't have time for that. It, it was clear that he was going through some some ideas. Right. And, it, you know, there's a possibility that the the transporters had been deactivated prior to him injecting himself. They it's were in that, that in that nebula. Yeah, they, they were also in the nebula. That may have caused some interference that would have caused uh, problems. It's possible that he thought of that and, uh, you know, thought that that would either take too long or for whatever reason not work to do the job. Because that was my original thought, too. It's like, okay, if he's able to put up a force field, would he have had time to put up a force field around the other guy completely so that the ship didn't end up getting damaged? Because as you saw, you know, he was able to protect himself from the brunt of it, but the blast still blew out a section of the of the hull and caused them to fall out of warp and kind of get lost in that nebula. So I think he did what he thought he had the most time to do to protect himself. But I'm sure a, a thousand different possibilities ran through his head while he's standing there having that conversation. Right. And this bomb is not unlike an organic explosive that we've seen in Enterprise in the episode Chosen Realm, which is yep. a cool callback. Absolutely. Uh, so, Eric, what do you think of the episode as a whole? Um, I thought it was yet another fantastic episode. This is the one time so far in six episodes that I won't say that it's better than all of the previous episodes. Mm, I agree. I'm not saying it's a bad episode by any stretch of the imagination, but I think they finally hit a point where the first two episodes were amazing. Third episode was even better. Fourth episode was even better than that. Fifth episode was even better than that. And now it's just as good as those previous episodes, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's better than, but I, I like what they're doing as far as pushing the story along of the, uh, on the story as a whole, while still giving us at least a small contained story in each episode. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, sometimes these shows that, that go for these overreaching arcs that, that travel through an entire season. Sometimes you'll have episodes that where nothing much happens in and of itself. And you only get a little bit of the a little piece of the bigger story, nothing else. And I'm glad they're not doing that. Mm-hmm. We are getting at least some story in each of these episodes. And this episode was no different. I just as a whole, I think I did enjoy episode five better than this one. Mm-hmm. But still just absolutely fantastic episode. I mean, we're getting we are getting amazing television from these guys they are outdoing themselves with the writing the the acting is phenomenal every single time the the art department is absolutely killing i mean imagine how much work had to go in you know, we have a 30 second scene of 
holographic Klingons being shot on this simulator. But those had to be played by people right. in full full on gear and uh, costuming that took hours to put on for that little scene. So the amount of work that's being put into this on all sides is just absolutely phenomenal. And they are killing it. They're just absolutely killing it. Hmm. And I did um, read on uh, Memory Alpha that the actor who plays Lorca choreographed that entire scene himself. Nice. Yeah. I, I, I dig Jason Isaacs. I think he's a, a good actor. I also, uh, I, I tend to try to stay away from celebrities' real lives because too often you become disappointed. <laughs> You'll see somebody who plays parts that you love and they're a great actor, and then you find out that they're just complete jerks, and you're like, oh, well, and then it kind of taints the things that you watch of them after right. the fact. Don't like that. But what I've learned of Jason Isaacs thus far is not that. He mm-hmm. seems like a decent dude all around. So, yeah, more power to him. If he can choreograph uh, battle scenes too, then awesome. Right. And something related to what you just mentioned, the developer or the designer of Enterprise D, I had a very disheartening conversation with him on Twitter <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I saw some of that. Yeah. I won't get into it now. If if you want to check my Twitter feed, I'm sure you'll find it. The Enterprise D is still my favorite ship, regardless. But it it kind of it hurts me, you know, right here, right in the heart here. Yeah, it's sometimes you, when you when you find out these people that you you love their work, and then you find out that as people, they're sometimes people don't believe the same things as you do. Sometimes you find out that people believe just wacky stuff, and you know it's. It can be disheartening. So I try to stay out of that as much as possible. I, there's, there's so many actors and actresses out there that have a ton of personal information out there in the world that I know nothing about because I, per, I try to stay away from it. Jason Isaacs I follow on Twitter, and so I see the stuff that he tweets and the, the, the things that he responds to and how he responds to people. And he's really straightforward. He will respond to people. And uh, he doesn't take any guff from anybody <laughs> but he does seem like just uh, an all-around decent dude you know yeah he will you know tell it like it is in some situations but it, he doesn't come across as a jerk and uh he definitely seems like a like a decent fellow you know I'd, I'd hang out with him at a bar and have a drink you know yeah no totally i i some points from eric berry here on the episode as a whole he is glad we got to delve into uh, Michael and Sarek's history a bit more. It really brings new light to Spock and Sarek's conflict as well. He loved that Michael mentions the Enterprise, which is uh, freaking cool. A little nerd moment there when she says Constitution class and then the Enterprise, I thought. Uh, little, name, Aaron. <laughs> little name dropping action, so yeah, yeah. absolutely. Overall, Eric thought the episode really keeps the pace moving and the questions are still being answered. It has less action than past episodes, but that's a good thing because the story has more of emotional depth to it. I agree with that. Uh, most of what Eric says here. Yeah, me too. It's, uh, you know, love seeing more about what's going on between Michael and Sarah. And anytime we get to find out a little bit more about, the the original Trek group, you know, 
we get to name drop the enterprise. We get to find out a little bit more about Spock. Um, you know, stuff like that that's going on is is really cool too. And uh, yeah, we definitely had a lot of, uh, as as Eric Berry said, emotional depth to this episode, where you you really find out these characters' motivations for a lot of things. And, I mean, not just mm-hmm. Michael Sarek, but you also have Lorca, and it's just. It's really phenomenal what they're doing with this show and the characters that they're building. And, you know, it's, it's I think, a cool thing to, to say six episodes into a series. If you were to ask me who's the main characters on this show, you know, yeah, you'd have Michael. But then you've got so many other characters. You know, right. Are they all main characters or are they all secondary characters? Some are main, some are, you know, it's very hard to tell because they're developing so many characters in so many ways that you never know who's going to end up being the, the core group necessarily. I mean, obviously Michael's the, the main, the, the, the focal point of everything, Hmm. but that doesn't necessarily make her the main character. You know, she's just the focal point. There could be – there's so much else going on. We, we're getting so much depth from pretty much every character. It's fantastic. I love it. I agree. This episode did not carry a TV MA rating. I believe it's TV like 14. It's interesting that they have to rate the individual episodes even though – you know, this is the type of show – like I said, they do have some story in each episode. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's the type of show where you just sit down and watch one episode and, and that's it. Right. You know, it really is a show where you have to watch the whole series to get the story. So the fact that each episode is rated and some of them are rated higher than others, it's still, despite this being a, a lower rated episode, I still wouldn't start a young child on this show. Yeah, cause, I because, I mean, we do have the officers that were with Cornwell were decapitated or at least their neck was slit yeah you get you got some definite neck slashing action there you got those other aliens uh stabbed you didn't see a ton of, of that there as far as the violence and the and the gore and stuff goes and that's the other thing with these tv ratings too is i've always i guess it was the way i was raised i my parents kind of took a more what you would probably call a european approach to how they censored my media when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. My parents were always more concerned with me seeing things that showed gratuitous violence than they were about anything having to do with language or nudity or sexuality. Okay. And, you know, my mom explained it very well to me one time. She, you know, I asked her about it because I'm like, hey, you know, when, you, when, we, when I was growing up, you would let me see things that had naked people in it. But you wouldn't let me see a movie that was rated PG thirteen because it was too violent. You know what, what? You know what's what's going on with that? And she goes, "Well, you know what? If you see two people on screen having sex and have questions about it, I can answer those questions. I can tell you why they're doing what they're doing. If you see somebody shoot a person or blow up a person or do this or do that, you know all these violent acts that we see on a regular basis on just broadcast TV nowadays." And I have questions about that. She's like, I can't explain to you why they're doing that to each other. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't have those answers for you. A lot of other countries look at it kind of that way too. You'll have, you'll have nudity on TV commercials. 
but a show like CSI or Law and Order would have to be censored for the amount of violent content that it has because right. they're concerned with the violence than they are with nudity or even language. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of agree with that. You know, I look at it, you know, what am I more likely to be able to explain to my child? A couple of F-bombs or a decapitation? I'd rather explain the language. Right. You know, if, if, if I've got my choice, <laughs> I'd rather explain the language or uh, nudity or anything like that as opposed to the violent acts. You know, I'd rather wait until a child was older to get into, you know, why it is that we enjoy watching violent things, but we don't want you to be violent. You know, we, we enjoy watching this because it's a story, but you can't act that way. Whereas with sexuality and even with language, even though it's, you know, it's got its time and its place, you don't have to tell somebody who's watching a sex scene in a movie, you're never allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. It's more of a, You'll do that at some point in the future in your life. But with the violence and stuff, you have to be right off the bat. You're never going to do that or you should never do that. Right. That's the biggest difference is whether it's rated for something that you should never do or whether it's rated for something that everybody does just usually in private. Right. I, I feel you there. So why don't we move on to our subspace channels question this week. And this week we asked... Were you surprised by Lorca's actions at the end of episode 6? And our three choices are Nope, A Little, and WTF. (laughs) Now, are you specifically talking about his choice to not go after the Admiral? Yes. Okay. In that case, my answer, was I surprised? No. Okay. Not in the slightest. <laughs> I thought that he seized an opportunity to get rid of her, and uh, he's definitely not going after her unless he's ordered to. And even then, he's probably not going to put the uh, gusto into it that he has for other missions. Right. I totally agree with you. I also said nope. And you out there in Twitterland, <laughs> 25% of you said nope. 50% said a little and 25% said WTF. Now, I wonder, are those people, I mean, WTF, like, what do you mean? What what the F is with this question? Or that's how surprised they were by Lorca's actions. They're like, what? He didn't go after her? I, I hope that's, <laughs> I hope that's what that means. Because it, it's surprising that anybody would be that surprised because of the way he acted beforehand. Mm-hmm. The fact that she was going to take away his command, he was not happy with that at all. And now here he is presented with an opportunity to maybe get away with it. Because, you know what? She hasn't had the opportunity to send anybody anything yet. Because she told him before she left, I'm not going to say anything yet. We'll discuss how you stepped, you know, she didn't, she told him she didn't want to ruin his career. So she didn't send anything to Starfleet. She didn't say anything about what was going to happen. She was going to talk to him after she got back about how he could gracefully step down to give him the time he needed to heal to possibly get back into the captain's chair later on. And so the second she said that, I knew, I knew she wasn't coming back from that trip. I, it was just one of those things like, oh, nope, you should have sent a message. You should you should have should have sent somebody say you should have written something down, put that thing on a pad, put it in a lockbox. I don't know something because you just opened the door to him never trying to find you. 
I guess, I don't know. I mean, we've already talked about it, but I don't think that she could have really have said anything anyway. I mean, what would she have told um, Starfleet Command? Just just her intentions. Uh, you know, if I she guess. Had wanted like, to, because the way she, when she stormed out, she seemed like she was adamant, like, boom, this is happening right now. Right. And so I expected, like, the next morning for her to be coming back and relieving him of command and taking command of the ship herself until somebody else can come on or bringing on somebody from her ship that was just hanging out off the bow of the discovery. Anyway, bringing somebody from her ship over to take, take command of discovery right away. But instead she came back with the, you know what? I'm not trying to not trying to ruin your career. I don't want a big black mark on your record saying that you had your command stripped away. We'll discuss how you can step down so that it looks like you was voluntary. Mm-hmm. Because if she had told Starfleet, if she had radioed them and been like, hey, listen, I'm going to take away his command because he's acting nutty, then that's on his record. That right. okay, Admiral took away your command because you were acting nuts. He probably would never get a command back. So she was trying to be nice, but I think it opened the door for him to be a little bit happier than he should be that she's missing. Right. Okay. I agree with you there. So why don't we move into the final segment of the show. Do you know what puts my quantum state into flux? And I think this is something that put everyone's quantum state into flux (laughs) on Sunday. Yes, indeed. Oh, my goodness. We had a universal quantum flux state going on across the board. (laughs) Right. So, Eric, what kind of device did you use to uh, stream... All access. Uh, yeah, all access. So uh, typically, I use several different devices. Um, I have a, most times when I'm watching the show on Sundays, you know, right away, I'm watching on my tablet. It's a, it's a standard Android tablet. It's a bigger one. It's 11-inch screen. So, you know, I've got that. And I, I use that because I'm usually watching while I'm in bed with my wife and she's usually watching something else on our TV and I can attach my Bluetooth headphones to my tablet and kind of disappear into that for a little bit without interrupting whatever she's watching. Okay. And it, it usually works. Okay. Um, usually don't have any issues beyond the fact that the Wi-Fi radio in my tablet is a little weak. So, uh, when I'm upstairs, it sometimes lags a little bit, but I don't blame CBS's app for that. Because that's that's an issue with my Wi-Fi radio on that particular tablet. Because everything else streams just fine. This week, however, because my wife is out of town, I was watching it on my main TV, which is actually just uh, plugged into a computer. So I'm actually running it through Chrome okay. on the CBS website. Yep. Which is usually, even though they say 8.30, it usually pops up there between 8.15 and 8.20. Oh, yeah. It was definitely up there at 8.15. <laughs> yeah. As soon as, as soon as I see that it's up there, I fire it up. And I had no issues whatsoever streaming the episode itself. I did have problems. I thought, hey, you know what? This is the first time I'm going to have the opportunity to actually sit and watch After Trek live and maybe interact with them. Maybe maybe tweet them or play the little trivia game or whatever. The After Trek stream, while using the same device that I was just watching the show on with no problems whatsoever, was so laggy. It kept freezing and buffering. When it was playing, it was out of sync because the the sound was ahead of the video. And uh, add to that the fact that you know they brought James Frain on via Skype without giving any thought to. You could tell he just like had a laptop or tablet or something like that, and was just using the internal mic and 
camera on whatever device that was to Skype into a high budget television show. I'm like, dude, somebody send him a sound engineer. Like, what the heck are you doing? If you guys saw how much effort and work and equipment I put into just doing a podcast via Skype and the fact that they just threw this major actor on a major TV show via Skype with absolutely no equipment whatsoever, it was just awful. Well, I mean, it was it was a little little bad, but I mean, I've seen worse. Yeah, it, that that part was rough in and of itself. But then also add to that the fact that everything was laggy, and I tried. I gave it about ten minutes, and then I was like, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'll just watch it tomorrow, like I usually do, and so I shut it off. So Eric Berry uses the Amazon Fire Stick, and episode barely played. Weird slow down slash buffering. And I believe he's talking about the episode of the actual Star Trek Discovery. He switched to a laptop hooked up to the TV with an HDMI cord. The episode worked great, but after Trek feed froze. Uh, he switched to mobile for after Trek, and it worked fine again, which is interesting. So he <laughs> used three different devices. <laughs> in order to watch one show. And Eric continues to say here, make sure episodes and servers are ready to handle people watching at the same time. Very good point there, yeah. Mr. Barry. Yeah. And for myself, I use a fire stick as well and played the episode at about 8.15 Eastern time. And the episode played fine, except for the very last commercial which I have the cheaper commercial plan. And it just froze there on the last image. Like, like the commercial would end right there, if, if you get what I'm saying. Right, and it just froze. <laughs> it just froze. Like, the last scene of the commercial is just frozen there. Uh, typically, it would, you know, end and then bring me back into the main page there of All Access. So I had to go in and force quit the app in order to open the app up again. Because originally I just hit the home button on on the Fire Stick the remote control. And then I went back in and I pressed on all access and it opened back up to the frozen commercial. So I had to actually go into the settings and force quit in order to open up and be able to navigate. <laughs> So that's annoying. And that's yeah. actually not the first time that has happened to me. It happened maybe two or three episodes ago, which is which was annoying. And then the After Trek stream shuttered several times and was buffering during the live stream. And the previous week's episode for me, it didn't uh, buffer, but... It was the picture was very low quality. It was definitely not streaming at HD. And right. then towards uh, the end of the show, all of a sudden the HD quality was back up. So they're definitely having issues with live streaming. Yeah, they definitely need some work. I think they're maybe underestimating how people how many people are watching the live stream. It also sounds like different devices are handling things differently, which means they, they need to work on their apps. Uh, I've had very, very few problems with the CBS All Access app on my Roku TV. 
Okay. So, and I've seen very few complaints about the Roku app in general, whether you're using a Roku stick or a Roku box or like mine, it's built into the, the TV. It's just a, it's just built in. So I, I've had very, very few problems with that. That's how I watched the episode again today. And, uh, after Trek today, I watched on that Roku TV. The biggest one that I have issues with is the mobile app, uh, especially for Android. I don't know how the oh. iDevices are, but for Android, the mobile app stinks. It is <laughs> clunky. It's a pain in the butt to navigate. You know, I've been using it to watch, you know, to stream my... To, I watched all of Next Generation. I watched all of Deep Space Nine, and I'm watching TOS on it now. And it's it's so difficult to select the episodes through the very various seasons because the way they have it designed it's not always responsive to the touch like i'll scroll down to the season i want and then try to scroll over to the episode i'm i'm at and it'll take five or six times before it realizes i'm trying to swipe and start actually scrolling over instead of down mm-hmm. and then add to that the fact that they have a crappy banner ad at the bottom of the app i'm like Sorry, guys, I'm paying you for this service. Can you get rid of the banner ad? That is tacky. Right. But then the other issue is that I also get the most freezing and other issues in that mobile app than anything else. I'll have issues where it'll just freeze up and act like it's buffering. A little circle will be going in the center. And then it'll quit out and say, a connection with necessary bandwidth is required to play this episode. And the only option is to leave the player. I'm like, well, I had plenty of bandwidth five seconds ago, and yeah, when I right. click, the, click it again and it starts playing, I'm like, and suddenly I have plenty of bandwidth now. What was wrong five seconds ago? Mm-hmm. And that'll happen whether I'm on Wi-Fi or whether I'm on cellular. Another thing it'll do is occasionally the picture will freeze and the sound will continue going. So I'll, I'll suddenly be looking at it and the picture will just be frozen. Sound's still going, still continuing. And here's the really weird one on that. Occasionally I've had that happen. And the sound will keep going, and then I can't back out of it. I'll try to hit the back button, uh, yeah. and it won't do anything. It'll just stay frozen on the picture. Picture's frozen, audio's still going. So then I'll close the app. I'll, I'll hit the home button on the phone and close the app out. The audio will still be going, <laughs> even though there's nothing on the screen. Right. And then I'll pull up the recently used apps and swipe it closed, which is supposed to completely close out that app. And the sound will keep going. I have to kind of do what you did with your Amazon Fire Stick. I have to go into the settings, go into the app manager, go to that specific app, and do a force stop to make the audio quit. And then restart the entire app and get back to my episode and then get back to the point where I was before the picture froze. How annoying. Yeah, it's a huge pain in the butt. And I'm like, you know what? You know, I love the show. I love what the service could potentially offer. But they do, they do have some issues they need to work on. So CBS, if you're listening, I know you are. Um, <laughs> work on those apps. Get some new servers. You know, you've got these record, this record influx of subscribers and whatnot. So we know you've got the money to do it. Buy a couple of new servers. Uh, make sure that, especially for the stuff that people are going to be streaming live, like After Trek, make sure you've got the bandwidth necessary to handle all the people that want to see this. I mean, you've got, it's more than just a fan show. It's got insights into, you know, you've got producers and actors and stuff from the show. You've got sneak previews of the next episode. You've got all sorts of stuff that people want to see. So people are going to watch this. 
and they want to watch it live when you do the interaction stuff. You know, you've got people wanting to get their tweet read and wanting to participate in this in the trivia and, and all this kind of stuff. And if you're going to do that, that's great. I love the the level of interaction that you're encouraging with your fan base, but you have to be prepared for it as well. If you want that interaction, you have to be prepared for that interaction. And that's where they, they're failing so far. And then the mobile app, seriously, on Android, complete overhaul. Just <laughs> needs a complete right. overhaul. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I have similar issues with the mobile app on my iPhone. It's fine over Wi-Fi, but when I'm out of the house and on just cellular, it works when it wants to work. And then I've I've mentioned this in probably almost every episode of of uh, our spectral scans here. When I when I want to do a rewatch of the episode for the show and I can't, I only get fifteen minutes in. It's usually after some point after the first commercial break, so they get the commercials in, and then it freezes on me. And the very strange thing, I don't have any indication that there's buffering going on. The picture's just frozen, and it's it's just really annoying. And yesterday, when I went to Twitter to complain about the issues I was having, people were replying back to me saying that you know they had issues. Someone on X1 had freezing issues. Roku... They had issues. Someone who says that they're on a really good laptop had issues with uh, AfterTrack. Someone on a Chromecast had issues. So it, it it's definitely not a user issue. It's definitely a CBS All Access issue. And they really, really need to get their act together. Yep. And that put everyone's state into quantum flux. <laughs> so <laughs> that pretty much ends our episode. Eric, if we were to find you on the internet, how would we go about doing so? Hi, I'm most active on Twitter. You can find me at Eric J. Dewey. I'm also on Instagram under the same handle, although I'm not nearly as active on there. Awesome. And if you were to look for me on Twitter and Instagram at Nova Charter. So until next time, everyone, live long and prosper, and we'll see you next time. You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. Like us on facebook.com slash sfescapepod. And add us to your circle on Google Plus by going to google.sfxkpod.com.